So we're doing things a little backwards today, if you haven't noticed. We're going to do uh, the message early today. We're going to have a time of worship after the message today. Um, so if you're like, what's Greg already doing up there? That's why. We're going to dig into the Scripture right now instead of waiting to sing a few songs. We are ready to roll. So I hope you all are ready to dig into the Bible today. Who's ready to see what God has for him today? All right, nobody in the back of the room. That's okay. We'll get you soon. Let me ask you a question as we start today. What is your why? Why do you do whatever you do? What, what is your why for your job? Why have you chosen the job that you have? Maybe it's a career that you love, or maybe you go to a job that you can't stand. Why do you do it? What is your why? What's the why behind what you do? What's your why if you're a student? What's your why for how you approach your schoolwork? Why do you put the effort in, or why do you not put the effort in? Or if you're a college student, why did you choose the school and the major that you are pursuing right now? What is your why? What's your why as far as a relationship goes? Why are you with the person that you're with or not with someone? What is your, your reason, your why behind it all? That comes to a, in marketing terms, there's this word that they use called your whiffum. Has anybody ever heard of the whiffum before? Nobody. Oh, you've heard of it? Like two or three people have heard of it. That's your what's in it for me. W-I-I-F-M, WIFM. We're going to talk about our WIFM this morning. What's in it for me? And when we think of these things, even when it comes to like the choice of movies that you watch or the television shows that you watch, or when it comes to the type of music that you listen to or even the clothes that you wear, even the, the vacations that you may take, it, that's what it comes down to. What is our WIFM? Why are we doing it? What is in it for me? And usually it boils down to how does it make you feel or what does it give you? What does it provide for you? Your WIFM. So how about church? What's your WIFM for church? Why are you here today? Why did you get out of bed on a Sunday morning when you could have slept in a little bit late before work tomorrow or school tomorrow? What drove you to, to get up early today and to show up to meet with this group of people this morning or to join us online this morning? What is your why? Why are you even here? Is it because it makes you feel better to show up? Or are you here in church because you want to just engage with other people? Maybe it's the music style that we do. But maybe it's the size of the church. You like a, a little bit smaller church, so you get up and you come here on Sunday mornings. It could be a number of things of why we choose the places that we go on Sunday mornings for worship. It could be anything. And, and many people choose to not even get up and to come. So why are you here? What, what's the reason that got you awake this morning? In the book of John that we've been walking through for these last few weeks, looking at the, the signs in the book of John that he performed, the miracles that Jesus did, as we see those and you look at the people who he was performing the, these signs for, there was always a whiffum for them. There was always, what's in it for me? Am I, am I going to be able to see again? Am I going to, in the case of Lazarus, have life again? 
In the case of water into wine, is this party going to turn out terrible for this wedding or are we going to be able to continue and not be embarrassed? There's always a what's in it for me. In everything we do, our human nature is what's in it for me. So what's your why with Jesus? When you think about why you have chosen to follow Jesus or maybe you've not chosen to follow Jesus, What's your with them? What's in it for you? What's your why? But maybe you have chosen Jesus because you find hope in the gospel. Maybe you've chosen Jesus because being a part of a faith community, being a part of the family of Jesus gives you a sense of belonging or a sense of place in this world. Maybe you've chosen Jesus, because that's the only place where you find purpose. The only place where all of it begins to make sense for us. And really, ultimately, that's what it comes down to for every single one of us. Whether we put it into those words or not, it's all about what is the purpose that God has for us and the restoration that He has for us in the gospel. We may not say it that way, But deep down, that's what we're all looking for. Maybe you've never made a choice to follow Jesus, but deep down, you're looking for some sort of purpose in this life. What's the meaning of all of it? Why are we even here? And that's what the gospel gives us. So what is the question that we end up asking God when we think about those things? When we begin to contemplate the greater uh, of the gospel or the greater of just humanity, we begin to ask questions like, God, would you give me some direction? I, I don't know what you want me to do, God. God, show me where you want me to do, where you want me to go, what you want me to do. What do you want out of me? Give me a sign, Lord. Can you just spell it out for me in the clouds? Can you have someone come to me and tell me what you want out of me? Just show me, Lord. And even when we ask those questions, in the back of our minds, we may not acknowledge it. But human nature says we're looking for our whiffum. What's in it for me? Lord, I need this from you. What's in it for me if I follow you? Lord, I need, need a sign to do what you called me to do. What's in it for me if I actually do what you called me to do? What's your why? Seven signs in the book of John are are what are traditionally recorded. We have covered most of those seven signs over these last few weeks. We're not going to cover all of them. We're actually going to switch gears just a little bit this morning. And we're going to get to the why behind it all. We're going to get to the reason Jesus was even doing what He was doing. Why He even performed these signs. And for us, as we look at this and look at what Jesus did, we're going to see what our whiffum is. We're going to see what is in it for me if I choose Jesus. We're going to be in John chapter 12 today. It should be on the screen. Um, If you want to follow along, you can open up your Bibles to John 12. And we think about that question, the first verse that we go to this morning. What is our whiffum? Is verse 26 of John 12. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. 
So that is what we are doing. We're choosing to follow Jesus. But what is the why? What is in it for me? And that's the second half of the verse. And the, the Father will honor anyone who serves me. That's your with them. That's what's in it for you. When you think about following Jesus is to, to be honored by God. And sometimes we think of that word honored in a weird way, that it is bringing some significance to us. So I dug in a little bit this week in my study to what is this verse really saying. And the word that John uses here is this word, and I'm going to butcher how it's pronounced, but none of y'all know Greek, right? So you're not going to know if I butcher it. It is tomeo or tomao. I'm not sure which way or even if either one of those are proper. But that is the word that's translated as honor in this passage. And when you dig into what that word means, it means to to be prized. It, it means to be valued. And ultimately what it means is to be to a belonging to God. So when we think about what our withum is, what's in it for me, it is God, as we follow Him, looks at us with value. He, he looks at us as a prized possession and belonging to Him. That is our withum. The problem is, we are, as humanity, no longer belonging to the Lord. You see, sin entered the world way back in, in Genesis. And we know, most of us, if you've been a part of church, you know the story of Adam and Eve and how sin entered into the world. And because of that, we are, are broken people who are separated from God. We are no longer His prized possession. We are no longer belonging to Him. But how do we get to this tomeo? How do we get to this position where we are honored by God, where we are back in a relationship, where we are belonging to Him we are prized and valued by God and where everything we do is about Him. That's what we're going to look at in John chapter 12. As we lead up to John chapter 12, Craig spoke about it last week. Prior to this event, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. He has performed one of the, the coolest miracles that could ever be performed. Lazarus laying in a tomb, and he raises him from the dead, and Lazarus walks out of a tomb. That's a pretty cool miracle. But it wasn't just a party trick. He had a reason behind what he was doing. After he raises Lazarus from the dead, they begin moving towards Jerusalem. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem for the Passover. And as we get into this passage, we are what we know of in the church now as Palm Sunday. This is Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem as it approaches the last week of His life. Jesus, as we move into this, He's getting to the reason why He did everything that He did. What the whole point was behind why He was even here in the first place. How important is this week that we're about to move into in Scripture? It's the week that we know of. We celebrated at Easter called Holy Week. How important is this week to us? Well, our entire faith hinges on this week. Everything that we follow Jesus for hinges on whether or not this takes place. It is extremely important to our faith. As a matter of fact, if you look at all the Gospels, all four Gospels together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you'll find is 
If you look at Jesus' early years, his birth through his, his childhood, there's only four chapters in all of, the, all of the four Gospels that relate to that. So those are important, but there's a lot more in the Gospels. So there's not a lot of focus on those years. 85 chapters, though? 85 chapters out of, out of this relate to those three and a half years of Jesus' life that we call His earthly ministry. The time where He's performing these signs, these miracles, where He's working with His disciples, showing them how to follow. The time where He is preaching to the masses. 85 weeks. Or 85 chapters, I'm sorry. And then 29 of those chapters point to the final week. This last week that we are entering into here in Scripture, the final week of his life. 29 chapters out of the Gospels point to that, and 13 of those chapters are the last 24 hours. A full third of the Gospel is all about the last week of Jesus' life. Is it important? It's vital to our faith. But without the events of this week, the whole reason we're here doesn't matter. Without the, the events of this week, everything we talk about is just a, a feel-good speech that, that we give, a motivational speech. It doesn't matter without the events of this week. So let's pick up John 12, verse 20. After Jesus has entered into Jerusalem, here's where it picks up. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. So here's the scene. Jesus, for these three and a half years, he's been preaching to the Jews. There's some Greeks or some Gentiles who've heard the message, but his ministry has been to the Jews. Everything that he has done has been focused really on the Jews. But there's these Greeks who are God-fearing people. They're, they're there for the Passover. But they've not fully committed. They, they, they don't want to get circumcised, for starters. And if they're not a part of the Jewish faith, they can't really enter into the temple for the full celebration. But they're there, and they got questions. And they say to Andrew or to Philip, probably because Philip has a Greek name, hey, Philip, can we talk to Jesus? And Philip's like, mm, I don't know. So he goes and he gets Andrew, and, and they talk about it. What we see through what we've looked at over these last few weeks is when you look at the Jews, every time Jesus did something for the Jews, they wanted another sign. They were continually looking for signs. Jesus raises a guy from the dead. Oh, can you show us a sign? Really? I mean, everything that he did, they wanted more. But you see these Gentiles, these Greeks... They're not looking for a sign. They, all they want is an audience with Jesus. They just want to meet the guy who they've heard about. Maybe they've seen him preach. They want an audience with him. And Jesus' answer is a little different than we may do it. Typically, if you're a believer and someone has questions, we're going to go and speak to that person. We're going to go try to share with them the truth of Scripture. But Jesus' answer here it's of supreme importance to how we live our lives as believers because he never goes to the Greeks. He never goes directly and responds to them. He turns to his disciples 
And he starts to tell them what must be true of them in order for the mission to be accomplished. Verse 23. Jesus replied to his disciples, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. You may remember in all these other miracles, Jesus is saying, my time has not yet come. And here he is acknowledging the times here. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Who knows anything about octopuses? Octopi. How do you say that? What's plural? Anybody know the plural of an octopus? Octopi. We're going to roll with octopi because octopuses sounds a little strange. So we're going to go with octopi. Who knows anything about octopi? Nobody knows anything. I bet I could get my son out here. Chris, you know a little bit. So if I'm wrong here, don't correct me. It doesn't work if I'm wrong. This illustration, um, so just be quiet. <laughs> okay, well, who knows anything about female octopi? Yeah, I didn't either till this week, um, so don't feel bad. Um, their whole purpose in life, the only thing they live for is to create life. That's all that they're here for. A female octopus will lay between 50,000 and 80,000 eggs at one time. And that female octopus will take those eggs and weave them together into these strands, these braided bunches that she will attach to herself and care over those eggs for months and months and months. And her whole focus is just caring about the eggs. She doesn't eat, she doesn't do anything, but care for those eggs, tends to them. And then when those eggs hatch, she has given life to the ones that survive, thousands and thousands and thousands of octopi. Now, most of those don't live. And the reason most of those don't live is because almost immediately after they begin to hatch, she dies. Her Time, her purpose has been fulfilled. There's nothing left for her to do. She has given what she was here for, and she dies after giving life to thousands and thousands and thousands of other octopi. Jesus looks to his disciples, and his response isn't go to the Greek and teach them, even though that's a part of what he's saying. His response is, you have to die to self in order to create life. He talks about this seed and how when the seed is planted, it produces life, but the seed must be planted in the ground, an image of death. It must be planted in the ground before it can explode into life, into hundreds of crops and thousands of more seeds. He's telling the disciples, now the time has come. Your job is no longer to just sit and learn. Your job is to go multiply. Go make disciples. He's saying, 
To do that, it cannot be about you anymore. It's all about the gospel. We must die to self in order to fulfill our purpose. Give up ourselves, our own wants, our own desires in order to multiply disciples. So when we think about that idea, there's a couple of things we can take from this passage. We see a choice here for starters. We have a choice with how we live our lives as believers. And if you're not a believer in this room, this choice does not apply to you. You've made your choice. But if you are a believer, you have a choice to to live a self-contained life or a life that's poured out for the mission. Most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, if we really look deep into who we are, we're living self-contained lives. Everything that we do is about taking the next step in our lives, getting to the next step in our careers or, or our education or making those memories with our kids or the next financial goal that we may have. Or it could be a num- any number of things. We live self-contained lives primarily. But Jesus is telling His disciples we have to live lives that are poured out for the sake of the mission. But how do we know? I mean, many of us would look at our lives and say, well, I'm a believer. I'm involved in in ministry. I'm at church. I'm in life groups. I, I feel like I'm living a life that is poured out. I was watching a sermon by J.D. Greer this week, and he said in this sermon, how do we know if we're living a life that's poured out? Look at your life as like it's a movie. Who's the main character? Is it all about you? Is it all about what you need, what you desire, what your goals are? Is it you? Or is it all about Jesus? If you're the main character of your life as a movie, then you're not living out the principle that Jesus is saying in this passage. It has little to do with making disciples. It's all about making ourselves more comfortable or leaving a legacy. We all want to leave a legacy. Memories, enjoyment, Even sometimes just material blessings is what we're looking for. It has nothing to do with with what Jesus is saying here. It is a life that is not poured out. It's a life that is fully self-contained. But if your life is poured out, if the main character is all about Jesus and what He's called you to do, your whiffum is Jesus. What's in it for you is the blessing of being a part of the mission. Your whiffum is His glory. Your whiffum is the souls of people who you encounter. Your whiffum is the gospel and it drives everything that you do. Is your life a poured out life or is your life a self-contained life? If you're like me, the answer is a little bit of both. There are times in my life where I'm incredibly selfish. Every single day there's things that I do that are incredibly selfish. But there are other times in my life where where I am surrendering to the leading of God and I am 
out on a mission to make disciples. And those are the times that really bring value to my life, even with my kids. We want to create memories for our kids. We want to provide everything that we can for our kids. But if it's all wrapped up in that, what are you doing for them? It's all temporary. None of it matters. But if we are pointing them to a life that is poured out and displaying for them a life that's poured out, they grab a hold of that as well. And they see how that changes things and how there's more blessing in that than any material blessing we could ever get. If Jesus is your with them, it's all about Him. Here's a hard truth that I have to deal with too. Some of us in this room, we made a decision to follow Jesus years and years and years ago. We think we have this all taken care of. But the truth is, just because you have surrendered to Jesus or said you surrendered to Jesus does not mean you've really made this choice. I see Christians so often. In my ministry for the last 20 years, I've seen Christians who truly got little to do with Jesus. It's all about us. And if that's the life we're living, it is not the life that Jesus has called us to. It is not the life of the gospel. And we see in this, the second thing is, if this is the life that we commit to, there's a promise. And the promise is that your purpose is going to produce fruit. There will be a harvest by the work that you put in for the gospel. There will be a harvest by your choice to submit to Jesus and to serve Him and other people. There will be a harvest. Many of us think we don't don't know how to do it. I don't know how to make disciples. I've never made disciples. I don't know how to do this or do that. God has placed within His church, which is you, if you are a believer, you are His church. God has placed within us everything that we need to accomplish the mission He's talking about here. He has given you all the ability that you need to go and to produce disciples. Whether you feel comfortable with it or not, He has given you that ability. He has given you the ability to die to self. Because... If we don't have Jesus, we have no reason to die to self. It is all about us. He has produced that within you. He has given you those gifts. And every single one of you have special gifts, special talents that He has given you to use for the mission. All of us have different gifts, different talents to use for the mission. And there's a promise that when we surrender to that, there will be a harvest But the problem is, most of us, and you may be thinking this right now, I don't want to do that. We have an unwillingness to die to self. We have an unwillingness to surrender. That's not what I signed up for. I signed up for a Jesus who will bless me. I signed up for a Jesus who will give me a life that I enjoy. That's exactly what he's talking about here. It's the upside-down world of Jesus that He presents to us that you're blessed when you surrender. You you receive joy by being a part of the mission, not by anything in this world. Jesus is not hesitant to instill us with this, but we're hesitant to use it. 
we've used the term a lot. If you've been around church, you've heard it. Who's ever heard of intercessory prayer before? It's when we pray for other people and their needs. But you know, there's, as you look at Scripture, there's a, a truth in Scripture that takes it a bit further. There, there's an idea really in Scripture of intercessory faith where those of us who have received Christ, we stand in the gap for those who haven't to bring them to Jesus. But let me give you one example of how that plays out. Over in Matthew chapter 13, in verse 58, as Jesus is going into Nazareth, He says this, or Scripture says this, And so He did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. It wasn't an unwillingness of Jesus to do the miracles. It wasn't His hesitancy to go and to serve the people in Nazareth. He couldn't do it because nobody there was standing in the gap to bring the unbelievers to Him. There was not enough faith. There was unbelief. And I fear that's where we are at as a society. We're not standing in the gap enough to bring those who don't know Jesus to just point them to the gospel, surrender our own wants and desires so that souls can be saved. It's intercessory faith. We are pointing people to Jesus. Your primary role in the mission is to believe and surrender. Put your faith in Jesus and give your life to the mission. That is your primary role. That is my primary role. Why in the world would we want to do that? What's in it for me? Why would I want to give up the things I'm pursuing? Why would I even want to consider stepping away from my job because it's distracting me from the mission? Why would I want to consider all of these things that I desire? What's in it for me? Jesus is what's in it for you. If you're a believer, you know that that's all you need. And if you're not a believer, if you've never given your life to Jesus, why not? He is all that we need. Where would you be without Jesus Christ? But what would your life look like? If you claim Him as your Savior, if He wasn't there, where would you be? It would all be pointless, wouldn't it? What's your with Him? What's in it for you? That's the verse that I opened with today. Tomato. Your life begins to have value to God. You become a prized possession of God. You're part of the family. You belong to Him. You have a future with Him instead of a future separated from God for eternity. What's in it for me? God. But we cheapen our faith. and We make it so easy with so little expectations and a cheap faith is nothing but a cheap life. It has no value. It has no meaning. You are not accomplishing anything for the mission. As we look at Scripture, we we see a theme of victory in Scripture, but without surrender to Jesus, there is no victory. 
We will never experience victory in our lives apart from Christ. This interaction as the Greeks went to seek Jesus, this marks the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Those three and a half years that we, we've talked about, those years where He's ministering to the disciples, He's preaching the good news, this marks the end of that and it marks the beginning of His march to the cross. Verse 31. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. Now, hold on to that for just a second because we talk a lot about lifting up Jesus. And when we talk about lifting up Jesus, we're talking about giving Him praise and honor and glory. This, that's not what He's talking about here. When He's lifted up, He means on the cross. When He's raised up, it is to His death. And He's saying that is where His glory will come from. When He is lifted up. Verse 36, He says, Put your trust in the light while there is still time, then you will become children of the light. We all, if you know the gospel at all, you know what the next few days held for Jesus. It wasn't pretty. And it all culminated in chapter 19 of John, in verse 17. Carrying the cross by Himself, He went to the place called Place of the Skull in Hebrew, Golgotha. There, they nailed him to the cross. That's why he did it. Everything we've talked about for these last few weeks, the signs that Jesus did, were leading up to this event. What's in it for you? That's in it for you. Why the cross? Because there had to be a penalty for sin. And the penalty was death. That's the penalty that had to be paid. And that death is you. Our lives, without Jesus, they really have no value. We are destined to death separated for eternity from God in a place called hell. Why the cross? So that He could pay the price. Maybe it's a message you've heard a million times. Hopefully you'll hear it a million more because your faith hinges on this event. Without this event, there could have never been a resurrection. Without this event, death could have never been defeated. Why the cross? Because that's what it required for you to have a relationship with Jesus. That's what it requires for your life to have value, for God to look at you and say, your life is tamao. You belong to me. You have honor. But let's be transparent. We cheapen the faith so much. 
We, we make the gospel this easy thing where say a prayer, you're saved. We require nothing of ourselves to follow Jesus. The church many times requires nothing of those who commit to Jesus. We cheapen the faith. when we take our own responsibility out of it. What does your faith look like? Is it a life that is poured out? Or is it a life that is fully self-contained? God has not called you to a cheap faith. But a cheap faith will lead to a cheap life. A life that accomplishes nothing for the kingdom. And if you're not a believer in here, this means nothing to you. The cold hard truth of the Bible is if you've not chosen to follow Jesus, your life does not have value to God. He's pursuing you. He desires you. But at this moment, you are destined to death, separated from Him for eternity. And He gives you a way out. And it's on the cross. We are not called to live comfortable lives. We're called to live conformable lives. But you've got to be careful about that. Because usually we're conforming to everything in our world around us. And the Bible is explicitly clear. Do not conform to the world. Just conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And if you're living a life that's not poured out, you are not conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You're living a life that has not changed since you accepted Jesus. You have not responded to a biblical gospel. You've responded to a feel-good version of the gospel that really has no value. We're responded to conform to the image of the one who would give his life so that we can have life. Are you willing to do that? If not, why are you here? If not, what's this all about for you? You are called to love God, love people, and make disciples. That is your purpose. My challenge for you this week is we are going to move into a time of invitation. If you're a believer... My challenge to you is to truly seek God's voice in this life. And the only way you get God's voice is in the Word He has written in Scripture. You're not spending time in this. You're not getting any sort of message or sign from God. It is here. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. But He provided all that we need in the pages of this. You bow your heads as we close this morning.